of the practice is to learn how to stay in there and be present for whatever comes up without shaking, without being disturbed, perturbed, uprooted from our seat. We want to be able to stay put no matter what's going on, even if it's a hurricane. Unfortunately, I heard that some people stayed put because they thought their homes would be safe. And that wasn't the case in the storm that passed through southern USA recently. But in this particular case, it's a different kind of staying put. We actually don't know how safe it is within the heart. We think it's not safe, or we don't know the safety of it. But this meditation practice helps us to learn where it's safe even if there is a hurricane. And I don't mean externally, I mean an internal hurricane. So I think probably everyone here has experienced some kind of a hurricane in life. Is this a good guess? (laughs) It might not be 270 kilometers an hour winds, but it feels like a very big wind, and we do lose our balance, we do lose our ability to weather the storm. A monk came to Master Yumin and asked him, what happens when the trees withers, when the leaves fall? And Master Yumin said, raw and exposed in the golden wind. Is this correct, Randy? Did I get it right? more or less, raw and exposed in the golden wind. The body exposed in the golden wind? I guess I remembered it as raw. I think it's fun. Because (laughs) really what it is is the heart exposed in the golden wind. That was my interpretation. 
So the heart exposed in the golden wind, what does that mean? I contemplated this for a long time. I thought it was very fitting to mention it tonight because if we've experienced the hurricane in the heart, what do we do when there's a big wind blowing and we're just flapping around? Do you feel like a flag shredded in the wind? Anybody experience that? Anybody has not experienced that? (laughs) How do we stop flapping? How do we not get shredded? Shredding is a, a kind of violent term. But I think some of us have experienced that feeling of being shredded by life being just torn apart by life, at some terrible loss or some terrible challenge that we're facing, somebody being extremely cruel or thoughtless or untrue, untrue. And there's a reminder of how important it is for us to hold to precepts, to be true, even if other people are not being true. And in this day and age, actually as in any day and age, being untrue can sometimes be what people choose because we think that that's how we're going to win. That's how we're going to protect ourselves from getting shredded. We're just going to tell a little white lie or not reveal what has to be revealed or hide, hide the truth pretend that things are other than they are. And these situations can become so extreme that family members don't discuss what's really going on. And there's a a constant denial of harm or hurt occurring, a constant avoidance of addressing pains that have been inflicted or behaviors tolerated far beyond their expiration date. And the result of that is that our truth, our own truth, begging to be heard, is silenced. But it's screaming to be heard, and it's silenced. And then our ability to vocalize that or voice it is shredded. We're disabled. Sometimes that disabling is so deep that even as adults, we can't express or experience pains and traumas that we were impacted by in our youth or as children, we, we can't even remember them properly. So because of our, our heart is shredded by those ill winds that blew. And why did they blow? Usually because people in our families or people in our lives, even teachers, have acted unskillfully, have treated us unwell, have been abusive, have um, not kept precepts. You see, this isn't just an example of how much harm can be caused by not being true to what is true, by not guarding, restraining the mind, our impulses, sense desire, our choosing our preferences, following ways that are convenient rather than right. 
or ways that feel safe when they're actually harmful. Or just being overwhelmed by situations and losing control. And sometimes by abuse of intoxicants um, and being victimized by parents that have been alcoholic or friends, relationships that have ended up in uh, abusive substances and the harm that that causes. So the repair of the shredding is a process, a long process. But when the tree withers and the leaves fall, if we understand the impermanence of these things, like now, this is fall, fall season. So the leaves are turning red, yellow, and today you may have observed it was a very sunny day, a day when things are very clear and bright, easy to see. So you look at the hillsides and the parks as you drive by and you see this display of color. It's so beautiful. And when we are able to see our true colors, the true beauty within us, then it's as if we stand raw and exposed in the golden wind. As if we stand in the truth of how things are. And that truth has a golden light. It's able to shed light on what couldn't be seen before. So if we can hold those impacts and those ill winds that have blown and shredded us apart, if we can hold them in a way that helps us understand their impermanence, then we can also understand two other important aspects of all phenomena, all things of the world, including these bodies, including our lives. Not only are they impermanent, but the impermanent nature of all things is that they are unsatisfactory. They have the nature to arise and cease. Therefore, in that changingness, we suffer. We see the leaves falling, and then it's winter. And winter can be a suggestion of death, of cold, of discomfort, of loss, of losing. The winter of our discontent. Actually, even that is delusion because there is no one to be discontented. And that is the third characteristic, the emptiness of all these phenomena. So when we're able to stand in the presence of truth, we are compelled to notice these three characteristics of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and emptiness. These are big topics, especially if you haven't been meditating for any length of time and haven't had an understanding of the truth of how things really are. We see them for what we think they are. But just examine your life and reflect. You were sitting and you were focusing and trying to still the mind. And when the mind is still, what do you see in the stillness of the mind? What is there? 
Is there silence? Is there a sense of peace? Is there a sense of emptiness? Is there a sense of self? Who is this self? This self that we believe to be real and solid, the more we investigate, the more we try to pin that down, the more we meditate and see phenomena for their objective reality, we notice that they arise and cease, arise and cease, arise and last for a time and then disappear and fade away. We also, we learn through the meditation practice that there is mental process and physical process and they are not the same. These are important insights because we believe, the deluded mind believes, I have to be careful here because I don't want to impose anything on you. I want these things to be realizations that arise in the mind through your own ability, through your own understanding, not because somebody tells you. This is the nature the strength of this practice is to be able to understand these things intuitively, understand them through your own insight, not because somebody tells you or you read it in a book. Because what we read in the books will not free us, will not give us the truth that is within, here, internally realizable. So from a heart that is integral, and grows in integrity, we can understand the difference between the body and the mind. And then, who does this body belong to? Does it belong to anyone? Is it your body? Who are you? There is a point at which we can see that this body is not who we are. Really. So this is to be investigated. Who is it? What is this body? When this body dies, what is it that dies? There's four elements that disappear. Earth, water, fire, and air elements that are composite disappear. And the mind, what happens to the mental element, the mind process. This is the mystery that we need to explore. So the death of the body does not mean the death of the mind. And there is actually no one who dies. So this is really a key thing to understand, but it cannot be understood without intuitively seeing that. And the whole process of focusing on one point and stilling the mind to its absolute center point where there's no movement, no wind, no flutter, then we see that there's no one that gets shredded. We see cause-effect. We see the law of karma working. It's a moral law, an ethical law. We think that the universe is governed by laws of physics and gravity and so forth. But the law of human nature is governed by moral principles, morality. So 
First and foremost, we are moral beings. We are spiritual beings in a human journey, on a human journey. And the body is the vehicle, but the mind process is the journey itself, is the path, is through the mind. It's not through the body, it's not through what happens making the body beautiful or making it young, it's impossible. Can we do that? Can we do anything to this body? Try. How long can you hold on to your beauty, ladies? <laughs> you tried everything. Does it work? Maybe for one day? What happens when your lipstick, your eye makeup smears? I don't know what it does. <laughs> but it gets smeared on your face. What does that look like? Because it's not real. Why do we invest so much? Uh, please forgive me, I don't mean to suggest that men are not intent on beautifying themselves. Of course they are. They spend plenty of time in front of a mirror. But we're, we're totally invested in beautifying in ways that are inauthentic. And then when it doesn't work, we're devastated. We weren't attractive enough. We didn't get what we wanted. What is this whole game of getting and attracting, attaching and being enslaved by body experiences, by the features of the body, the height, the weight, the shape, the color, the hairdo, the clothes, the shoes, the cars. I mean, all the other things that we own and our whole sense of ownership in the world is so belabored and so heavy. Then we become slaves to these these possessions and these looks and these degrees and these successes or failures. We either have positive enslavement or a negative enslavement. So we're high or oppressed. We're elated or depressed. Addicted or compulsive or we're deluded, we're misled, completely misled. We're educated, but we're foolish. We have so much knowledge, but we're lost. We don't know the way out of our suffering, and we feel fearful and dread what's going to happen to us. We have no security. We're full of fear, even though we have a lot of money, property, buildings, gold. What do those things do for us when we're sad? We want more. Do you know anyone who hoards? We're all hoarders of one sort or another. I hoard Dhamma books. <laughs> or we hoard Dhamma talks. It's the same kind of thing. Relying on things of the world is not the way of truth. The only thing that we can really rely on in the end is what we have in our own hearts. So if we have the Dhamma within us, that will save us. That will make us rich. But that will impoverish in terms of the world. So that often people feel sorry for me. But I feel wealthy. I feel healthy. I might be old and sick, but I have my virtue. And I have my practice. 
So I have the Dhamma in deep in my heart. And to me, nothing in the world is worth more than this. Nothing at all. So it's a, a pause for reflection. And how did I come to this? Well, I was on retreat in Burma more than 30 years ago. Just suddenly, I was doing walking meditation in this tiny little room, seven steps forward, seven steps back, and suddenly I thought, I could do this for life. And after I had that thought, I had a little panic attack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) But that didn't stop me, because I realized that was just a deluded mind gasping. Really? You're not going to do that. That's Mara. So when we have moments of waking up and realizing how true things are, even if they're scary, we should investigate that truth and not let it escape. Even if it goes against all our better judgment, or what we think is better, maybe we should investigate that more and follow it. Because when you think you want to hang on, giving up might be the best option. When you think that you have safety, you might want to look again and realize how much danger you're in. When you think that you're scared, too scared, to make the right choice, you might think again and realize that you're not too scared. You just have to face your fear. Everybody can feel fear, but not everybody can figure out the way out of fear. And the way out of fear is not to run away from it. It's to stand in front of fear and be exposed to the hurricane. Stand in that horrific wind and be raw in it, be exposed to it. But stand your ground. Bring up the courage to stay to be present, to experience the emptiness of it. There's no one to die, no one to be hurt, no one who gets shredded. It's just the process of nature. The trees wither, there's impermanence. The leaves fall from the trees, there's impermanence. This body may die, but the heart can wake up. And this is the realization of the heart waking up to the truth, to that golden reality, the riches of that. That's the true goal. That is what will bring light and brilliance, resilience and beauty within. Forget about what the body is doing because we can't stop the body's process. In the end, we become wrinkled, we sag, We flake, we fall down, we get crippled, we get bent over, decrepit, like a ruin. But the mind is bright and brilliant, strong, resilient, refined, subtle, pure, deathless. This is the thing that we must work for to be refined like gold in the furnace. It means we have to endure difficulties and forgive 
past traumas, no matter how terrible, they're just tests. Suffering is our teacher rather than an enemy. And the most important lesson from that is not to repeat it, not to inflict suffering on anyone else, and not to replay those old stories over and over again as if we can squeeze some goodness out of them by listening to them again and again and again, by repeating the grief, the horror, the misery, the blame, the shame, the fear, the destructiveness, the accusations, the abuse, not to repeat that, not to replay it, not to give it any more life. It's dead, it's finished, it's past. And to take the path through, we have to forgive that. Forgiveness means putting it down. It's due to causes and conditions beyond our control. It's the result of ancient things that happened long ago and are playing themselves out through our own suffering. And we let that be. We don't hang on to it and decry it, that how awful it is. We just receive it and let it go. We know it for what it is, and we let it go. And we let it be. And in that letting it be, the mind can settle down and be still and be peaceful. And in that peace, we can find strength, energy, renewal, safety, trust, mindfulness, awareness, pure presence, the ability for the mind to be concentrated, focused, and absolutely quiet. It's in the quiet of the mind that we find our freedom, not in the complaining, not in the whining, not in the regurgitating the past or planning the future, but in just being present for one breath. This moment is a moment of potential freedom. Just by setting the past free, like a bird that you let out of the cage. Open the cage. Open the door. Let it out. Let it out. Let it go. Then we rest in the moment, rest in the only place where we can find freedom is in this moment of pure awareness. It's not in somebody else's moment of pure awareness. It's in our own hearts. But it's also very important and essential for us to keep the company of the wise. This is perhaps one of our greatest assets, to stay close to spiritual friends. Ultimately, the Buddha is our best friend, spiritual friend. Where is the Buddha? The Buddha is in the Dhamma. Where is that Dhamma? It's within us. So, what happens when the trees wither and when the leaves fall? Body exposed the golden wind. We stand raw and empty, emptying out all the rubbish, all the dead things of the past, 
we stand in the truth, in the golden truth, the golden light of the truth, here and now. Not in the body, but in the mind, the mind that we call the heart. It's not a, a physical organ, it's that sensitivity, that sensibility, that which is experience, experiencing or able to experience love, unconditional love and compassion. It's here. We're sentient beings. We feel the pain, the suffering of others, and we let it go. We feel compassion, and we grow that. We grow it until it is boundless. If we were able to spend every moment of consciousness feeling unconditional compassion for ourselves and all beings, that's true to practice for this moment. We can practice for that. But we start with where we are now. It's necessary. We can't start with a future thought or with a concept. We have to start where we are now. Like when you look on your GPS and you see a little red dot and it says you are here. So be here. Be now. Be this. But know, know the map of consciousness and use it by following the Buddha's instructions. So then the BPS. Buddha's positioning system. <laughs> I offer you that for tonight. Thanks for listening.